Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the podcast show. My very special guest is Roy Campbell. Now, Roy is a powerful, inspirational speaker. He's a youth worker, and he's on tonight to share his story about chronic pain and how to master it. So, Roy, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate it. Roy and I know each other because we've been in touch for the last three, four months. And this past week, we actually shared the stage at the TEDx Bear Creek Park in Surrey. And uh, we had a marvelous day. We had a marvelous couple of speeches. And in fact, everybody that day had a marvelous speech. And it's just been a thrill to know this guy and to get him on the show here to share some of his amazing stories. So, Roy, let's go back in time. You know, where did you grow up? And, um, you know, how was the first 20 years or so of your life? Well, I was born in Manchester, England, a place called Salford, inner city, pretty tough inner city. And when I was about five years old, my uh, parents, they put us on a boat. My father's from Jamaica. My mother's from England, Liverpool. And so... They put us on a boat and we sailed for about five, six weeks across the Atlantic Ocean to Montego Bay, Jamaica, where we lived for about eight years, nine years in Montego Bay. And I lived there till about ah, about 14 years old, nearly 15. Oh, man, I loved it. I loved it. It was paradise, paradise. And then, and then my parents told me, um, actually, it was my mother told me that we're going back to a place called Manchester. And it was very vague to me what Manchester looked like because I'm just used to being on the beach all day and, you know, swimming and climbing coconut trees. And my mother, my sister, and myself jumped on a cargo ship and we sailed back to, uh, to England. And it was a shock to my system, brother. I'm telling you, man. Inner city Manchester. Wow. Rainy, rainy. No palm trees. No palm trees. <laughs> and okay. then I lived there 15 Onwards. So let's go forward a little bit. And at the age of 20, you became a professional rugby league player and you played both in England and New Zealand. So how was that? Well, you know, it's crazy because I had no interest in playing rugby. I spent about a year and a half in high school and the only thing I could do was run fast. I guess anybody who came from Jamaica could run, you know, I don't know what it is. Something in the food, Jamaicans just run fast. Your same boat runs fast. But so all I did at school was run track. I think I played maybe two rugby games, wasn't interested in rugby at all, never watched it. And then someone says, hey, we have a pub team. Come and play for the pub team. And I played on a team called Earlham Hornets. And man, they were good. Oh, my goodness. And I played for a season and a little bit. And the scouts, they spotted me playing amateur rugby. 
And they invited me to come down for the close season and train with the, these big names. I didn't know who they were. I wasn't interested. And I trained during the close season. And I turned up at the beginning of the season, like a, a friendly game against one of the top clubs. And I was still an amateur. And I didn't even know I was going to play that day. And the coach came to me and says, come on, you're playing today. And I went, what? The opportunity came for me to get on for the last 20 minutes. And I played and I tackled. I made the most tackles in 20 minutes. And after I came off, I got a contract to become a professional rugby player. I was totally useless. I could run. I could tackle. But that was about it. And <laughs> I think it was about a year and a half after that, I got invited to play at Auckland, New Zealand, a team over there called North Coast Tigers. And I played for a season over there, six months, and loved it. Oh, my goodness. Loved it, loved it. And I only had three seasons until I came to a crashing end. Mm-hmm. So Roy had a, a big tackle. He had a big fracture in his neck. In fact, he had three fractures <laughs> in his neck. And it sent him in a path of pain and recovery surgeries and rehabilitation took a long time. So Roy, obviously this was an awful thing for you to happen. And it was a painful yeah. thing for you. Are you still struggling with neck pain all these years later? You know, for me, it's a pain 24 hours a day. The way I describe it, a good day for me is probably be the average person's bad day. So I get pain 24 hours a day. So, you know, I just try and maintain my neck, take care of it, and I just live with it. I have to. So I have no choice. I have no more choice. Just for the audience, I let them know what took place. Is I was tackled by three players during the game at the same time. And they came from all different angles and they crunched me and they picked me up, flipped me over. And I went head first into the ground and then crushing my neck as they fell on top of me. So I had three players on top of me. So, and I was unconscious for probably a minute or two. And we didn't realize until two weeks later that I had three fractures down there. Yeah. So that's how it was. And so now I'm wired up one, two, and three are wired and fused together, bone grafts from my hips. Wow. Okay, so that left you with a lot of problems, uh, <laughs> to say the least. least. Oh my and, and you were told what by your doctors? Well, I was in hospital for a few weeks, and they did a bone graft from my right side, and then they put me on, left me on the bed, strapped down, and I had the um, clamps, I don't know what doctors call it, but with the traction with the weights coming down the back of the bed. So I had to lay like that still for quite a few weeks. And then I went away with the halo. And eight months later, I had to have the operation again. And that was when everything just came to an end. Emotionally depression. Because to have the operation again was just so painful and devastating. And so I had a total of 22 months in and out of a neck brace and a halo. And I went into um, a suicidal depression. I struggled a lot. It was pretty bad. Yeah. So what allowed you to come out of this depression and dysfunctional lifestyle to where you're going and where you've been now? I locked myself away for a good, nearly a year. Uh, I was a recluse and I pushed all the people away from me. And I'm a very sociable person and easygoing, laid back. I guess I got some of that Jamaican blood inside of me. I'm just easygoing. And, but 
when the depression hit me, I, I just switched off the world. There was something, it's like I was locked away in a, a dark cave and I could not find the entrance, the way out. It was just one day. I mean, I think I must have tried to end my life eight, nine times. And one day, there was something about that day that was different than any other day in my life where, I don't know, I can't describe it, but I just said, you know what, I got to take a step forward. And I contacted my old professor at the college and I told him, I literally told him that I'm dying. I, I need help. And he told me if I could walk to the college, which is only a few miles away, and don't forget the doctors told me when I was in hospital, they've been telling me for months now, I will never be able to run again. And at best walk with some kind of a limp or assistance up the stairs. My professor told me if I could walk to the college, he'll find a program for me. He'll sign me up. And that day I, I walked to the college and I still had my neck brace on. And he signed me up for a program. And that was a start because that program now was a sports coaching program for one year. And it was to help people with disabilities. It actually was to help kids with disabilities. And when I was helping those kids with disabilities, it was like standing in front of a mirror and to see myself in the mirror and going, you know what, your problem is not as bad as you think. There's actually other people out there who are worse off than you. So in the long of the short, what I'm trying to say, he gave me a purpose. And it was the purpose that helped me move forward. So I studied sports coaching for one year, helping kids with disabilities. So purpose took you out of the pit of despair, of depression, of suicidal thoughts. Absolutely. And then you started to move forward. And what happened after that, after your years coaching? Oh, man. I was still having complications and uh, horrendous pain, complications. And we weren't quite sure if the wires had shifted or if the bones, the grafts had, had fused. So they were talking about a third operation. And I said, no, never. I said, what I've got now is what I'm leaving with. And I had an appointment to go back to the doctors to see the specialist, actually. And we were going to do some scans and x-rays. And I went down to the local outdoor store and I bought a backpack. And I left the store and I went to the travel agent and I bought a ticket. And I, a week later, I was on a plane flying to Jamaica with my backpack. And I stayed in Jamaica for a few months. And then I was going to backpack around the world and live life as it comes. And then I ended up coming to Canada. I left Jamaica and came to Canada. Backpack to Canada. <laughs> so, so I didn't go for my doctor's appointment. <laughs> Seriously, I was on the way to see the doctor when I stopped at a camping store. I bought a backpack and I left there and I went to a travel agent and bought a ticket. I never went for my appointment. So that's what I'll maybe think of when my patients don't turn up for their appointment. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's somewhere down in Jamaica, hanging out, man, hanging out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you, now you're in Canada, but you've done a lot since you've come here, right? Oh, yes, you're a youth worker, but you've done a lot with your physical body and your physical focus, your purpose. Now, what have you been doing to kind of help your, your recovery? I got married. <laughs> I don't know if that helped me enough. <laughs> That's a different story. 
I better be careful what I say, but I, um, you know, I love working with kids. I have a passion for working with teenagers and, you know, uh, myself going through rough patches as a teenager. And so I ended up becoming a youth worker. I was working in a treatment program for kids with severe behaviors and, and drug and alcohol problems. And then my daughters were born and I became a stay home father for eight years with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. I actually delivered my kids. Yes. These hands delivered my daughters. Wow. <laughs> and so I, st- I fell in love with them. And I stayed home for eight years, a stay home dad. And my daughters are 21 and 23 now. Do you want to know how I got into running? Let's do it. Cause you're a runner. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a runner, but <laughs> I just love adventure. I just, you know what? I, I'm not a runner. I'm a sprinter, but I'm not a long distance runner. But listen, these guys, these doctors told me for many years that, uh, you know what, I'd never be able to run. And when I was in hospital, that's the only thing I heard. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to. Not one doctor came to me and told me, you know what, don't give up. And so for what, 12 years, I didn't run, seriously. Didn't even try because that's what I believed in. But when my youngest daughter was five years old, I was outside cutting the grass and I've always told my, told my kids from a very young age, man, you can do whatever you want to do. And I truly believe that when I tell them that, you can be whatever you want to be. And then my daughter was five years old, Shadia. And she said to me one day, daddy, let's go for a run up the street. And I said, no, baby. I just brushed her off. And I said, no, baby, daddy doesn't run anymore. She said, run, let's run, run, run. And she got my hand and I said, I don't run. And she said, why? She said, I said, because the doctors told me I can't run my injury. And she pulled me down face level, eye to eye. And she says, daddy, you tell me every day I can do what I want to do or be what I want to be. That's a five-year-old, wise words. And she dragged me up the street 50 meters. That was 1999. 50 meters up the street. The next week, she dragged me up 100 meters. The week after that, it was 150 meters across the road. Six months later, I ran in a Vancouver half marathon. Painful because of that little girl. That was in 1999. And as I sit here right now talking to you, and because of her, I've, done, I've lost count many marathons. 100 kilometers nonstop. I've run the Sahara Desert seven days through the Sahara. Ironman triathlons including Kona, Hawaii, World Championships, and more and more and more because of that five-year-old girl. The point I'm making here is that that's someone who believed in me and in a time when I didn't believe in myself. And it just, because of having a purpose, as today I still compete at 58 years old. Doctors tell me I cannot do something. I'm telling you, the power of belief once you find what you want to do and find a purpose, oh my goodness me, it is endless. I actually went back to Manchester to find my specialist, the doctor, the one who told me the most that I could not run again. But unfortunately, he wasn't around anymore. Never give up on yourself, never. And, you know, for, for patients, one big thing I find with them is they're scared to move or they're scared to do physical activities because they feel they're harming themselves. And this is a relatively new thing for me that I picked up 
from a conference, you know, the concept of you're hurting, you're not harming, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's your testimony, right? It hurts to run. It hurts to run across the Sahara Desert and the Amazon jungle and the Hawaiian Ironman. It hurts a lot. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. I have two choices. I can sit on the couch and stay still. It's going to hurt. I don't know how it's going to hurt even more. I I have no idea because I don't sit on the couch. But I, I know it hurts when I move. But you know what? It could be worse. Actually, I feel better once the adrenaline's rushing and stuff like that. As long as I come home and rest and, and stretch and get those massages and stuff like that. But at least I'm trying something. I'd rather try something, you know. And I find that moving, you have to cross that threshold of fear mm. and try it, mm. you know. Obviously, within the boundaries of doing any severe damage, but it's a progression. My left side is super weak, always has been, but I don't think about super weak. As a matter of fact, hey, listen to this. I actually write little messages on my right side, on my leg, so I can look down when I'm running. Can you imagine running like 100 kilometers nonstop in half a day? That's like two and a half marathons. Or you imagine going six marathons, Amazon jungle or, or the Sahara. You need some kind of motivation. I will write on my right leg, messages to myself you are strong you can do it not my left leg because my left leg is telling me hey come on quit so i want to focus and and i put little messages you know i write on my hand continuous forward movement c f m and anytime you see race pictures i have c f m on my right side of my body continuous forward movement in a race i do not stop because if i stop i know i might not get moving again even if it's walking, continuous forward movement. And that's my mentor for life, period. I keep moving. I get up tomorrow morning at 4.30. Do I want to get up at 4.30? No. But I will get up and go to the gym or I'll get up and go for a walk and start my day. Continuous forward movement. That's my life. I love it. It hurts. But there's a purpose. And I think we all need a purpose. I think we all need to have a reason to get up and move, whether it's walking with her kids, whether it's running across the Amazon or something in between, you know. Your purpose can be getting up and helping someone else. And the best form of medicine, oh my goodness me, is helping somebody else. Can you imagine when my professor says, hey, I'm gonna sign you up for a physical education program. And here's me walking with a limp with a collar on my neck. And I walk into a room and I see kids with disabilities and Down syndrome and and in wheelchairs. And you want me to help those kids? How I can't help them. I I can't even help myself. (laughs) You know, at the time I went to see my professor, I must have went maybe, I don't know. I went weeks and weeks and weeks without a bath or a shower. That's how messed up my life was. Seriously, I put on 60, 70 pounds. I haven't had a shower for a long time. I was messed up. I'd gone through how many suicidal attempts, okay? Tells me to walk there. I walk into a room. He didn't tell me I'm signing up for to work with kids with disabilities. And I walk in and go, are you serious? Man, I'm telling you, the most powerful moment of my life was working with those guys. I'm telling you, they supported me and helped me so much. I thought I was helping them. Man, they were stronger, more powerful than me. They saved my life. 
those little kids, man. Powerful. Yeah, I love that. Well, listen, it's been a great, relaxing conversation with you know amazing stories and amazing guy behind the story. Hey, don't don't cut me off now, man. I want to spend all night with you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we go. Is there is there anything else you would like to share on this subject? Let me tell you something, Wayne. Is I'm 58 coming up. I'm still running ultra marathons. I have a I have something I have to do next year. I have to go back to South Africa to race in a comrades. I I didn't complete it last year because I went there with a broken foot. <laughs> and my foot <laughs> not too smart, <laughs> but my foot kind of literally exploded about I don't know 65 kilometers into the race. But you know I, I'll just keep competing. I have a fitness contest this year. I would love to go back to the Amazon. I have some unfinished business there. That's a whole different podcast about getting attacked by hornets and stalked by jaguars. And, you know, I'm moving into the area of, I want to be an inspirational, motivational speaker. You know, I work with youth right now in the school district, but I just love sharing my stories. If I can go around the world and inspire and and motivate, oh man, Mm. You know, that would be my dream job, being an inspirational, motivational speaker. And I will become that. And that's the path that I'm taking right now to share my stories, adventure, and hope. I'm telling you, anything is possible. To have the right people around behind you, have the right mindset, find a purpose, and, and go for it. And go for it. At least take chances. You know what I'm saying? That's what I tell my kids. Take chances, man. And uh, yeah, so that's the path I'm on. And um, hopefully I'll be speaking in your neighborhood soon. (laughs) But I have a website now, just up and running. It's called Roy Campbell Speaker, R-O-Y-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L speaker.com. And I'm trying to blog and get into this technology kind of stuff. I'm getting there, brother. But life is not perfect, but I am truly grateful, truly Mm -hmm. grateful. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks for coming on tonight. It's been a real privilege to talk and relax and listen to your stories. And I'm sure I will get you back on to talk about the Amazon and Sahara (laughs) and, you know, whatever else you've been up to. And one thing I'm picking up from you here is, you know, and just behind between the lines is you didn't complete all of these races. Ah, there you go, brother. (laughs) But you never give up. And it's not about finishing. It's about competing. It's about yeah. getting in there, in the grit, yes. in the dirt, yes. in the grind, yes. in the sweat, yes. in the pain, and yes. moving on. Yes. And, you know, your amazing yeah. little continuous forward movement, CFM. Continuous forward movement, CFM. Yeah. And that's, that's the message for us tonight, I think, is we all need mm-hmm. to just pick ourselves up and keep moving on, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I just one thing I want to say to your, to your audience who are listening there. I mean, everybody's going through their own kind of struggles, whether it be mentally or physically. Uh, oh, man, I'm telling you, if I can leave you with just a little bit of hope, just take a little forward movement each day, forward movement each day, and just make it con- continuous, continuous, continuous. It's not easy out there. It's a, it's a battlefield, but please don't quit. Do not give up. It's hope. Thank you. Find a purpose. Okay, Roy. Thanks so much. I'm sure our audience Thank will you. love this one. And I really appreciate your time. And you're a great guy. And it's been an honor to be on stage with you this very week you so and uh, share you know, our passions and our, our hope for the world. So thanks again. Thank and right. uh, take care.
CFF, continuous forward movement.